May I speak in the name of Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Please be seated. So maybe it's a little weird to you, like it is to me, that we just read part of the crucifixion story in November. What's up with that? Well, beloved, today is the feast, the Sunday of Christ the King. Now, some stodgier Episcopalians than I have been pointing out that today is not an official feast according to the prayer book. That's fine. I'm not quite that stodgy. <laughs> today we're celebrating Christ the King Sunday. The last Sunday after Pentecost, the last Sunday before we begin the season of Advent is always Christ the King Sunday. Now, uh, when uh, Reverend Hannah asked me if I would be with you all today, when I realized that it was Christ the King Sunday, I have to admit, I was more than a little bit excited, because I really love Christ the King, or Reign of God Sunday, as it's alternately called. Now, one of the interesting things, I'm a little bit of a church history nerd, shocker, I know, uh, and uh, I am fascinated by the history of this day. This is one of the newest feasts or celebrations in the Christian year. It's in fact only about a hundred years old. This feast of, or the celebration of Christ the King was created in the early 1920s, soon after the massive devastation of World War I, after uh, the vast majority, after all of Europe was just devastated by this war, the likes of which no one of their time had ever seen before, a time in which the powers and principalities and kingdoms of the earth had literally risen up against each other and caused war and devastation like no one could describe. And they were just beginning to get back a little and a little at a time. And Pope uh, Pius XI at that time decided to create this celebration, this annual reminder, because we all needed to be reminded that it's not the the kings and the powers and the principalities and the armies and the economic powers that rule this world. It's not those to which we hold our allegiance. It is to one king, one Lord, Christ Jesus alone. It's interesting that we observe this feast at this particular time of year for a lot of reasons, some which were intentional at the time and some which I would say are particular to us as Americans in the time in which we live. It's not an accident that Christ the King Day falls very close in time to uh, Armistice Day and Remembrance Day and Veterans Day and the days in which we remember the sacrifice and the death and the devastation that is war, right? They share a common, a common history, a common ancestry together. It's also not an accident that we celebrate Christ the King Day on the last day of our liturgical calendar year. After all, we're celebrating a Christ, we were celebrating our God who is the Alpha and the Omega, who is the beginning and the end. And so we begin and we end our years right around this time in, in remembering the, the, the glory, the power, the majesty that is Christ the King and also the eternal sacrifice that is Christ the King. So it's a really important marker that we're observing here. 
I've also been reminded often that, like I said, for those of us who live in this country in the time in which we live, it's so good that we have Christ the King at this time. I, before I was a priest, I used to work in political campaigns, and so my life would begin and end at Election Day. I'm glad not to do that anymore. And, and yet, all of us, right, just over the last couple of weeks, we've, we've come through this you know, massive election season with huge amounts of money raised for the purposes of you know, things like negative ads and you know, pushing out all this information, all this energy and all this um, uh, excitement uh, and all this positive and often negative energy. We're all for the purpose of, of getting us uh, energized around particular you know, candidates or issues or whatever the case may be. And it always, no matter, uh, there's always a mix, right? You know, some folks, no matter which, no matter what party affiliation or anything like that you may be, there's always some folks who you wanted to win, who didn't. There's always some folks who, uh, who you didn't want, who did. And there's always, there's always, right, all these like hurt feelings around election day. And there's always, we're, we're, we're in a time now with, you know, Christian nationalism and all these things built up around, you know, people trying to affiliate the, the, the message of Christ with, you know, one political ideology or another. This, this movement is, has taken so many forms over time trying to sort of buy Jesus into some sort of political ideology. And yet this day, this Christ the King reminds us always that, that Christ the King has no party. Christ the King is universal for us as Christians. No matter what party we are a part of, no matter whether the folks that you wanted to win won or the folks that you didn't want to win didn't or whatever the case may be, that we serve one Christ. That our, that our mission as Christians in this world, that our mission as followers of Jesus does not change a single whit whether the folks we wanted were in office or not. That, that, our, that our mission, that our obedience, that our servitude, that our citizenship to the one Christ remains the same. That, that, our, that our work as Christians, as followers of the gospel, is always to preach the gospel wherever we are, whoever we may be. That our mission is always to stand for the least of these, for the marginalized, for those who have not. That our mission is always to hold those in power accountable. And it doesn't matter what happens on election day. It's, it's also the time for, for those of us who live in the time in which we live, right? We're, we're right on the precipice of Thanksgiving and the, in, in the world in which we live, I think unfortunately, we don't even get through Thanksgiving before the sort of consumer world is all over us about, you know, Christmas deals, about, you know, about uh, trying to get us to buy things that we don't need, trying to get us to to feed into this consumerist ideology, to get into to, to get us, you know, hyped up about about purchasing, right? And and, and uh, that feeds us into the consumerist world that, frankly, does little more than to make the rich richer and the poor poorer. But today is Christ the King Day. Today we remember that it's not that it's not consumerism that runs the world, that it's not the economic powers that run the world, that it's not the billionaires that run the world, that it is the power of Christ the King to which we bear our allegiance. And so we read today the story of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. 
Exodus, it's, it's weird that we observe Christ the King. Uh, it's weird, weird that we uh, read the crucifixion story, excuse me, as we uh, observe this feast of Christ the King. It feels out of place to us, and actually I think that's a good thing, because it should strike us as being more than a little bit jarring. You know, it's one thing when we read it in Holy Week, and we've kind of immersed ourselves in the story, and it's another thing today, it kind of drops out of midair at us. And, and so... There's some things that I notice about our gospel text that are maybe a little different than, than we might have noticed when we read it during Holy Week. And so I want to kind of walk through a few of those things with you. We heard a lot today in our, in our text about this moniker that's sort of given to Jesus in, in derision. You know, the sign above his head, King of the Jews. Right? And, and so people are laughing at Jesus, deriding him. Right? You're, you're this... You're supposed to be this great rabbi. You're supposed to be this great teacher. You've been talking about the kingdom of God. And yet here you are, crucified like an everyday criminal, held up on a cross between these two criminals. What kind of king are you? If you were a real king, you would have bought yourself out of this situation by now. If you were a real king, then you would have summoned your armies to come and attack those who were trying to imprison you. If you were a real king, if you'd actually been performing these miracles you've been supposed to have been doing all this time, couldn't you have magically found your way off of this cross somehow? We, we uh, are at a point in the story when, of course, they've crowned him with a crown of thorns from which he's bleeding all over. What sort of king are you? And so they're laughing and they're mocking him and everyone around him is snickering. The empire, the powers, the principalities are certain that they've won. They have reestablished, they believe, who their true king is. We read earlier in the story, right, what do the people say? We have no king but the emperor. They, they think they have reestablished who's in charge. And the powers and principalities al always do. They always think that they can press down and reinstate their power by pushing against the gospel, by pushing against those who stand up for the marginalized, by pushing against and trying to crush by every physical force of economics and the empire that is available. And yet, and yet, the king who we serve rules in a whole different way. And the only person we hear from in this story who actually articulates that is the second criminal. We don't uh, understand, we don't know why he is up there. We don't know what the two criminals beside him have done. We can surmise a little bit based on uh, the fact that they were crucified, right? That they must have uh, been convicted for some, for some notorious crime. And yet, one, and one even says, right, we're up here because of what we did. And yet, this man has done nothing wrong. This criminal whose name we're not even given in this text uh, speaks to us a truth so profound that it's hard to wrap our heads around. He's the only person who actually identifies Christ 
not as a not as a king in derision, not in laughing at him, but identifies that there is something special, something powerful, something beyond knowing about this man. That this, this kingdom of which Jesus speaks, this kingdom which Jesus represents, is something that the powers of the empire can never understand. It's something that the vast majority of society can never understand. That this king is one who doesn't rule by the powers of armies or vast sums of wealth, doesn't, doesn't rule by fear, doesn't rule out of an iron fist. No, this king rules with much more powerful tools like mercy and justice, like love, like mutual care and responsibility. That this king rules because of the rules through the love that is represented in the gospel and, and exemplified perhaps nowhere else, nowhere better than the cross and of course later the empty tomb. Beloved, I want us to, to think this week, I want us to embed in our hearts and minds this week what it means to be citizens of the one kingdom. What it means for us to be citizens of a kingdom that has no borders, that has no, that, that rules not by law or by force, but by love. I, I want us to spend time along with the criminal uh, who's at Jesus' side this week, saying to ourselves and praying to ourselves, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That phrase has been in my head all week this week. If you're a fan of today like I am, then you'll probably know it well. I won't sing it for you. That's my grace to you. <laughs> but think of it this week. Repeat it to yourself. Sing it to yourself, if you will. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I always thought that phrase was kind of self-serving when I heard it many, many times. And it was only this week as I read it again and again that it inhabited itself in my mind completely differently. I always thought that when he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, that he was saying, look, I should be special too, right? I, I, I want to be at the center of what you have. I always thought it was uh, something like, uh, you know, the, uh, what's asked of Jesus in another place, you know, can we sit one at your right hand and one at your left? I always thought it was like that. And yet it's different here. Because, as I mentioned earlier, he's the only one who recognizes the true king of kings when he sees him. When you come into your kingdom, your kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus, that is unlike anything in this world. The criminal at Jesus' side is placing himself at the feet of Jesus, if you will. And I want us all, I encourage us all to invite ourselves in your hearts and minds and your spirit, place yourself at the feet of Jesus this week. When you come into your kingdom, we pray every single week and I hope more often than that, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. When you come into your kingdom, 
And, and so we know that as Christians, that what we do is not to wait for a kingdom yet to come. We, we, we don't just wait for, you know, some, we, we don't just wait for the end of time. We don't just wait for the end of our time here on earth. No, y'all know this like I do. Our, our work, our mission is not only to wait for that day for, for Christ's kingdom to come, but to do the work of the kingdom, to make the kingdom reality every day in the world in which we live. We, we make God's kingdom real. We make Christ's kingdom real on this earth when we do exactly what Christ calls us to do, when we serve the mission of Christ in, in our hands and feet, in everything that we do, whenever and wherever we are. We, we, we make Christ's kingdom come. We make Christ's kingdom real in this world. We make Christ's kingdom visible to people like the, the criminal in this story. We make Christ's kingdom real to people who see us in our everyday life when we exemplify the work of the gospel. We, we, we make Christ's kingdom real in this world when we stand against the powers of, of empire, when we stand up against the powers and principalities, the powers of violence, the powers of cruelty that seek to rule this world, and we combat them with the power of love. Beloved in Christ, I, I want you to spend some time this week asking and thinking and praying how are we called to make and to see Christ's kingdom made manifest, made real in this world? How are we called to make Christ's kingdom visible to everyone, everywhere, who sees us? How are we called to make Christ's kingdom real in our hearts and our souls and our minds and to allow that power to flow out, to flow out? May Christ's kingdom come, may Christ's kingdom be real in your hearts, in your minds, in your souls. May it, may it uh, make itself manifest from the crown of your head to the balls of your feet. And may Christ's kingdom be made real in our church and in our world. Amen.